walk through the book of Genesis, the ancient primitive stories, especially at the beginning of Genesis, that represent some of the oldest stories in humankind and, uh, and deal with the fact that these were the stories that the ancient Israelites collected and talked about as they went about their days, as they, you know, walked along desert roads, as they sat in campfires, as they talked with their children. These were the stories uh, that shaped the Israelites, and specifically, they shaped their ideas about what it meant to be human and who God was, what God was like. And the ideas, and this is a fact, the ideas in these ancient stories were radically new. Uh, they were different, a different way to think about God, the fact that there's one God, the fact that he's interested in us and how we treat people. They were different uh, ideas about how to think about humanity and who we are and how the earth was created and all that. So we've been walking through all that, and, and we get to this topic of, um, of walking in step with God and his plan for your life which we're going to deal with today. And actually, I thought it was going to be a, a one-week thing. And uh, it turned out that we're on week three of it, and we'll probably do one more week because it just, it, it's a topic that not only I really uh, um, work on in my own life and kind of am centered around, but also as I talk with many of you, um, how do I stay in step with God, his plan for my life, things like that. It's something that I think a lot of people think about. So we're going to just kind of spend some time on that. So today, what I want to, I want to talk about um, the Bible idea of narrative and God's plan for your life, and then specifically my own personal story in scriptures as to why this is such a big deal for me. And then we'll touch on uh, your first steps, and we'll spend most of next week talking about like first steps in getting in touch with God's desires for your life and, and how to... Um, how to walk in step with God. So let's do all that. I want to start with Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm just going to read it to you from the screen. We read it last week. This is from the New Testament. For we are his God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I don't think you can say it much clearer than this. So last week we talked about narrative. Narrative is uh, the the significance of the facts. So you have facts, and then you have narrative. Um, a fact could be, my in-laws are coming this weekend. They're not, but that could be a fact. And then the narrative would be like how I present that. My in-laws are coming. My in-laws are coming. You know, it's what you do with the facts that shapes the narrative. The narrative of Scripture painted clearly many places, but none clearer than Ephesians 2, is that you were created, God put you together, and created you with, while, while thinking ahead of time about things he wants for you to do in your life as you walk with him. So that, that's, a, that's an important understanding. Like you have to decide first and foremost, uh, can you get with that? The idea that you were created by God with specific things to do. Like you've been sent to where you're at with specific things that he wants you to do. Because if that's the case, then that changes everything. Because now you have something like 
you better be in step with him then. At least I want to be. If God made me to do things, then, then ideally I'm doing those things for him and walking with him close enough to figure that out. So that's, that's the first piece there is for us to decide, can I buy that? Like, can I buy that God has things for me to do and I'm here for a reason um, and that God specifically has things he's thought about in advance? So now... On to Genesis, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of speed around this because we've spent the last few weeks on this, and you can always go to the app or the, the website and listen to like back sermons to kind of follow the flow to how we got here. But this is speed round, okay? God goes to a guy named Abram who would later be Abraham. And he said, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham, or Abram, went. Now, what God is doing here, and and what, what we need to, as we are familiar with ancient cultures that were all tribal, what God is really doing here is he's not like, like coming to our family saying, hey, I want you to move to Wisconsin. Here what he's really telling Abraham is you go start a new tribe. And through your tribe, I will bless the world. So this is God calling Abram to start a new tribe, which also implies there's an implicit promise here that you will have kids. How can you have a tribe that's family-based without children, but Abraham and Sarah don't have kids. So we fast forward 10 years to Genesis 16, and we get this. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years... Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife, and he slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, Sarah began to despise her mistress, Hagar. So basically what we get here, and this is, I I think it's fascinating to think about this in in terms, you're talking like 4,000 years ago. Early on in the Bible narrative is this new idea that God has a plan for our life, a new idea that we could go somewhere new to do something new, because this isn't how they thought back then, and a new idea that we could act on our own in a way that doesn't align with God's plan, because we'd go on then to see in, in Genesis 22, 21 and 22, that God basically said, I am still going to give you your own kids, Isaac. So he sleeps with Hagar, and they have Ishmael. And Ishmael becomes his own tribe, but God says, no, I am still going to do this my way. And they have Isaac then. 25 years after the initial promise, they have Isaac. And Isaac is the father then of the Israelite people. And the Israelites are constantly in friction with the Ishmaelites. So what, and this is really important to see. This tells us that God has a plan for our life. This ancient, 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 ancient work speaks to us so profoundly in our modern life in 2017. God has a plan for your life, but it is a thing that you can decide to do things your own way and severely alter what he wants to do through you. So what Abraham and Sarah did after 10 years of waiting, 
10 years of waiting, is decide we're going to figure out how to do that thing ourselves. And God says, okay, you got it. I'm also going to do this, and it's never going to be the same because you stepped in and altered it. So this should register for all of us as a red flag. Because it's tempting to get fatalistic with this stuff and think, well, if it happens, it happens, or God, wouldn't, God would stop us, or he wouldn't allow something, he wouldn't have let me move. In a, but no, what we see from this story in Ishmael is that we can get our own idea, and God will let us do it. And let us live with how things are now different because we did our own thing. And sometimes it'll never go back to the way it would have been because now we did our own thing. And so um, let's talk a little bit about the implications of this. And what specifically I want you to know why this concept of birthing Ishmael, of doing your own thing as an alternative route, to God's plan or essentially creating, what we're really doing is we're creating a hybrid, like God wants this and we get impatient, so we do this or we just aren't impatient, we just really wanna do this and we do this and then we realize we got this hybrid thing going. Like I would rather, I think, have a God who just says, I'll just, you just, you just do this, 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 this and this and I get to do that and I get to do it right now and it, but that's not the way it is. God gives me the freedom to create a hybrid and I would rather have like, you know, the original God plan. So let me walk you through a little bit about the history of Polaris and why this has been so important for me in, um, in church leadership and why I hope that it's important for the Polaris and people of Polaris. So get my little scripture ready here. <clears throat> Polaris started in, on the second Sunday in October of 1999. So essentially, like today, October 10th was the second Sunday then. Um, I guess technically today's the third Sunday, isn't it? Because the first was Sunday. Anyway, second Sunday of October. And, um, and, and it started with like what was supposed to be a big splash. So there was this model in the, in the, um, across the nation in the, the church starting world uh, where they would raise a whole bunch of money and hire one person who would then hire a big staff from day one. So before there was even a church, uh, there would be a lot of people working and working with this fundraising. So it started like that. The, the, the senior pastor was hired. His name was Mike. And Mike fundraised, and we had about $500,000 set aside to plant Polaris. I don't know of any other church at that time that, that was like that. It was a big deal. And it was all area churches and organizations that decided they would come to, to start Polaris. And, and, and there were five full-time and two part-time um, pastors on staff to start. Isn't that crazy? And so the idea was that you did that and then you did a bunch of marketing. And four, five, six, seven hundred people would pour in from day one. Because this is what happened in Charlotte and in um, Atlanta. But it turns out that Brunswick is not quite like Charlotte and Atlanta when it comes to big splash stuff. So we did all the marketing that you do and we had the staff that you do and we were ready for overflow crowds and all this stuff. Well, anyway, <clears throat> by January, so we're two months in, we had crowds of around 89, 90 people. And that's including the staff, 
the spouses and the children of the staff and spouses. So it doesn't take a genius to realize this ain't going to work like we thought. Meanwhile, all those funding agencies and churches decided that it was now poor stewardship to continue to pour huge dollars into a large staff for 89 people. They were probably right. But they decided this and one by one withdrew. So now we have no money, five full-time, two part-time, and a very you know, smaller church of under 100. And we're trying to figure out what in the world do we do. So there was this staff meeting where Mike had told us, prepare to not get paid this week because we don't have any money. <clears throat> and I remember as a 22-year-old newlywed, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, <clears throat> As a 22-year-old newlywed, I wasn't as worried about life logistics. I mean, my parents live in Maslin. Like, worst case scenario, we just, you know, go down to Maslin. Um, but it was devastating for me because I was so convinced that God was in this and that God was calling us to start this church and that, this, that, that Polaris, the idea of it, was a God thing and that God was going to do it. And I just, from the start, yeah, God's going to do it, God's going to do it, God's going to do it. And now we're just faced with this idea of, man, I, I, don't, I don't see how it could happen. I don't see how this could work. And, and so it was, it was like 1 o'clock in the morning back when I used to stay up crazy late. Kelly was asleep. Um, we're in our one-bedroom apartment. And, and I'm just kind of praying and reading Scripture and, and you know, devastated and, and trying to hear anything from God. And, and this is a moment for me that that changed who I am, like there is a before this moment and an after this moment, and I experienced God in a way that, that I never had before. There was no audible voice, but it was just a different kind of, of reality. Um, I don't even know how to use words to describe that night in my apartment, but he, here's the scripture I was reading. It's after... It's in Exodus when, when Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt and Pharaoh changes his mind and Pharaoh and the Egyptian army is now pressing in on the Israelites. They're like unarmed for the most part and untrained and, and now the superpower of the world is pressing in on them because they left um, Egypt. And here's what we get. When Pharaoh drew near... The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us out here to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out here out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. That the people of Israel may go through the sea 
on dry ground. So there's this moment in history where the Israelites are out of options. There is nothing they can do. It is out of their control. And they cry out to God, and God speaks to Moses, and Moses says to them, just stand firm and be silent and watch God deliver you. And there was something in that scripture, and then what happened after that, where it was as if God created in me an immediate sort of appreciation or understanding. It was a, just kind of a spiritual, mystical thing where I realized that God's going to do something to save this church, and really all my role would ever be at Polaris was to listen to what he wanted and keep in step with what he wanted. Now, it's a fascinating story because Moses could have, could have told the Israelites, like he could have messed up that plan. Like he could have been like, swim for it. But instead he says, no, just stand. And then, he, and then it's implied that he approaches God and he's all upset and God's like, why are you upset? Why are you all a mess? Stretch out your hand, put down the staff, part the sea. Like God steps in because Moses is walking and in step with him. And so that created this value in me and this realization that God has these plans and these things. And it's up to us absolutely to do the work in obedience. But it's also up to us to make sure that we don't get jumpy and create another Ishmael because he'll allow it. And so for you in your life, there are things that, according to Ephesians 2.10, there are things that God has for you to do specifically. You are God's workmanship created in Jesus with good things that God created beforehand for you to walk in. Or you can do the hybrid. And once you got the hybrid going, it's going. And so it's super important that we take our time and that we listen. Now, disclaimer. There are plenty of good things that don't need a lot. Like, like you don't need to spend a lot of time praying about whether you're supposed to go rake the leaves for the elderly neighbor next door. Like, I think God's going to, you know, that's probably a thumbs up deal, right? Or, God, do you want me to go with the whole wheat or the rye with my eggs this morning. I'm not talking about that kind of a thing. But then there are those larger things, those jobs that move. Relationships. Places to serve, ministries to be a part of, things to start. The larger things in life that represent a lot of our time and a lot of our energy if I read scripture right, God has some thoughts for you and some things he wants you to invest your talents in and your time in and your money in, your energy in. And those are the kinds of things that we can either walk closely with God to stay in step with or we can go off and do our own thing. Now, it's, it's this, it's that thing that God did so, so let me, um, let, let me another, another couple stories here. Um, 
that day, I went into the office after that, and I said, guys, um, I feel like God is saying that he's still going to do this. We just need to stay in step and not try to fix anything on our own. Um, because you can imagine a lot of the energy, the leadership energy was, what are we going to do? How are we going to save this? What are we going to need to do next? Where are we wrong? Should we reinvent things? Should we quit? Should we whatever? And I, I, and I just said, I feel like God's saying, well, that... Two days later, a check for $40,000 came in unexpectedly, and not only was our payroll met, but there has never been a payroll in the history of Polaris that didn't get met, and somehow, as it's obvious, 18 years later, we made it. When there was no, like you weren't going to look and say that we could have, but somehow, God just kept providing enough, and we made it. Now let me look at these two passages here that for me have become central to how we operate and how I operate. And Moses said to them, so this is, there's a few guys that are like, they're trying, they want to take the Passover. And, and I love, so I, I, I think next year I need to do a, a walkthrough of like some, some Moses character stuff because he's a fascinating character in scripture. I love how he leads because he's so reluctant. He's so humble. He, he's, he's um, but he's 100% authentic at all times. And so they come to him with this question, and he's their leader, and he says this, wait that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. So he doesn't pretend to know the answer. He says, I don't know. Let me go ask. I don't know. Let me go ask God, and we're going to wait until we have an answer. I love that. And I'm sure it was frustrating to work with. Because there's plenty of people who just want to move on. And, and he's like, I don't know, wait until I hear something. And there's this other one in, in Thessalonians that's similar to it. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So life becomes about asking God, what are those things you want me to do? And then walking closely with him to hear and to listen. And next week we're going to talk a lot specifically about what that looks like. How do you build a life of walking closely in step with God? Let me give you an example of how all this came together in another way. <clears throat> um, so, so one thing I will say about Polaris and all of its highs and lows, it's always been a value to listen for God and wait. Um, five years ago, we had gotten word that this building was for sale. $1.5 million, Grace Baptist. And, and I, you know, a couple people said, hey, we should buy that building. And I'm like, well, I hope they take a check because we don't have any money. Um, like, you know, I think we own $20,000 as a church, which is hardly a down payment for one point, and there's no bank that's going to be like, hey, you're the perfect candidate for, like, you know, this is, this is like post-collapse, all that with the market, and banks weren't, like, running out trying to find people with no money to lend money to. Um, and I drove by Laurel. I'm on Laurel, and I drove by this, and, and I, I kind of did one of these. No, God, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, nah, not Right? And I felt, and I, this, is, this is a rarity for me. I don't want you up here thinking that I hear from God regularly because I really don't. It's, it's only once in a while. Um, but I felt like God said, um, I'm going to get you in there 
because you're going to need it. And that's all that, I, that I, I'm going to get you in there because you're going to need it. It was one of those surprises because I didn't even really want. Like I was completely happy and this place was really run down and, and not taken care of because it was abandoned. And I just didn't, you know, but I felt like I heard that from God. And I went, my, my wife is a banker in corporate lending. And I said, I feel like God said this. And she's like, well, you'll know whether it was God or not because he's the only one that's going to get this church in that building. Um, and, it, you know, I mean, here we are. It was, it was after, after a lot of waiting and doing nothing to push the thing forward except contacting Grace Baptist saying, hey, we're interested, but we don't have any money. <laughs> um, <laughs> Try that with a, you know, a new car. Hey, I want to buy that, but I don't have any money. Um, I, no interest, no money down, all the money on principle for less of a monthly payment than what we were in at the cinema is what we were offered to move in here. And, and four months, five months prior to that, we tried to renew our lease. We had decided in all of our wisdom that that was our home, and we were going to re-up for four to five years of lease extension, which would have locked us in. And the landlord drug his feet. He's like, yeah, just I'll get to it. I got some other things I'm going to. Like, what landlord delays on a five-year extension of a plaza in the corner of Brunswick? But he did, and it freed us up to be able to do this in the fall. It just, you know. Now, <clears throat> when it comes to leadership at Polaris, we, we have this language that we use on staff, like don't, we need to not birth an Ishmael here. Okay, that's when you decide to make a hybrid. And so there, there, it's nothing for me, and you know who you are. There are leaders at Polaris who are great leaders and strategic thinkers and getter-dunners and like um, um, fixers. And, and so there's a problem on the table, and we'll be in these leadership meetings We'll be in, in, in our leadership meeting, and, and it's all people who lead ministries around. And then the problem on the table will be this. Somebody will say, this is something we're working on. What do you think? And all of a sudden, the, the inventors, the fixers, the engineers, the, the people who actually get things done in this world um, will start to brainstorm ideas that we could do. And you will see me physically curl up, go fetal. Because of this, this Ishmael fear of things that work great everywhere else, but there's this other thing that God wants. And then there'll be times where we'll be like, okay, we're just going to pray about it. We're not going to solve it. Because we've had a lot of great ideas come to fruition on whiteboards that are perfect, wonderful, awesome ideas that fall flat here. Meanwhile, a lot of things that we pray about and wait and wait and wait and pray and wait and wait and wait, all of a sudden, one day, unexpectedly, oftentimes after we've given up on the idea, it opens up, somebody comes, something opens up, and boom, here's this thing that we never could have done, and it's in God's timing, and there it is, and that's what we got to wait for. And I would say the same thing in your life. Don't sacrifice the thing that God is building for you by agreeing to some hybrid because you're impatient. Now, lots of how I've lived enough life on my own and talked with enough of you that I have a, a lot of things that I've seen and learned and, and a lot of scripture to share with you on like how do you build a life 
that stays open to those things? How do you know when God's saying go or when God's saying wait? Or better yet, when God's saying, watch me, I got this. Because there are those moments too. So we're going to talk that through, but the one thing that I want to say to you, and I'll leave you with this when it comes to, um, uh, number one, take a good long look at Ephesians 2.10 and decide, am I going to live my life believing that? Am I going to have the faith to say, God has created me in all of my spectacular failures and still has things he wants me to do for him? Like, am, am I going to live life looking for those things? So I want you to ask yourself that and then ask yourself, do I have any space available? And we'll talk a lot more about this next week. Do I have any space available? Am I awake Am I awake to hear him and see him? So there's a story told about an ancient um, like rabbi, disciple, teacher guy. And, um, and the, the student asks him, uh, teacher, master, how can I grow spiritually? I'm so frustrated that I'm not growing. And, and he said, oh, you can't produce spiritual growth in your life any more than you can make the sun rise in the morning. And he's exasperated. He throws up his hands. He said, well, then how can I grow? And he said, all you can do is be sure that you're awake for the sunrise. And what I've seen is that, yes, God does it, but it's up to us to make sure that we have the space in our life to be awake and able to respond. And we can't do that if there's no margin. We can't do that if we don't have the time to listen to God or we don't have the availability in our schedule to move when he says move. So we'll talk more about what that looks like. But I can tell you, man, the number one thing for you to start this week, like start it today, is to take 10 minutes in silence and just listen. And it's going to be awkward and it's going to be boring. So let me tell you something. I can't, I, I, being silent before God is boring. That sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? But I'm like, I'll be clicking my pen, you know, tapping my foot like crazy, like I'm, you know, convulsing. Because it, it, is, it is miserable for me to be silent before God. I, I, I hate it. I love it when he speaks, like when I can say to you, and then I felt like God said this and this great thing did that. But man, it's a big price to pay. And most people don't want to pay it. And so they go on and do their things their way and they birth Ishmael's or just ignore it altogether because the price of silence and availability is too great. But I want to challenge you to start taking time and making space to hear from God so that you can walk with him because it's the only way you're going to keep in sync with that kind of plan. And we'll talk more about what that means next week. Looking forward to all that stuff and sharing that with you. Um, yeah, so we're going to do one last song. And, uh, and then, yeah, I'm going to stop talking now. Let's stand. <laughs> Sovereign God, uh, you are over all things, but you don't control all things. Nothing is out of your control, but it seems through your word like you will allow us to walk in step with you or out of step with you. And I want to believe that you have plans for my life and I want to believe that you have plans for all of our lives. And we're asking that you would 
make the sun rise in our life. And that we would be awake to see clearly what you're saying and what you're doing. And that we would have the courage to respond so that we can see you at work through us. Because there is nothing more fulfilling than seeing you at work in our lives. So help us to obsess over that in Jesus' name.